0: I did some mushrooms in the woods and now oh, nice. I know how to have fun again. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You, you forget That's every good. so often. <laughs> I
1: have definitely been struggling to have fun. Uh been having some some mentally difficult times. I mean uh, ev especially, you know, having the uh hopes dashed that Planned Parenthood wouldn't uh would decide against union busting.
2: Oh, yeah, I forgot to put that in the notes, so we can just make fun of Planned Parenthood right now, which, yeah, yeah I really hope I, we we're going to be
1: wrong. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. was really, it's unfortunate.
2: I mean,
0: it kind of sucks, too, because you, if, if you just say, like, oh, it's time to critique or make fun of Planned Parenthood, people instinctively assume you're in terrible company, but... the fact of the matter is is it's like just like every organization no matter how critical or important the service they provide is and the services that Planned Parenthood provides in addition to abortion services are all extremely needed uh it's no fucking guarantee that they're they're gonna take care of the people who actually provide that service to the public
1: Yeah, honestly and then like with the personal stuff that's been going on, just having people be like, "Oh no, th- we're w- why aren't you thinking of the customer?" and I'm like, "Why aren't you thinking of the workers?" and and then like seeing fucking Amazon propaganda being like, "We are the most customer focused yeah. business in history." Oh my and god! And just be like, "Yo, I am drawing some parallels here that piss me off to no end."
0: <clears throat> well, it sucks too because like, uh, there's a lot of places that that. Uh, they, they'll they either promote themselves as customer focused or as employee focused. And I, you know, I stock vending machines in a lot of places that are like, we're proud to announce that we're 100% worker owned. And then I look at the bulletin board and it just says ESOP News across the yeah, top. Yeah. And I'm like, you're not worker owned. <laughs> Fuck you with your lying ass title. <laughs> you were never worker owned. <laughs> you lying
1: little shit. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> no, I know. Like the, and the, the Planned Parenthood thing is like I wanted them to be like the exception to my critique of NGOs, but no, <laughs> it's like uh, the NGO under capitalism is still operating within a capitalist paradigm, and so it has all those same incentives. And so,
0: I mean, I mean, you I get- you you know what NGO stands for, right, folks? Not good organization. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's right. I mean, it's just it it uh, I just all comes back to it's like you know uh, what what would make Planned Parenthood a lot even cooler than the incredibly important work they already do if they were run by their workers just like every other organization.
0: Heck yeah. yeah, yeah. And if they were treated like a public service and were maybe I don't know subsidized by the government so that the services they provided were free. Well, yeah, that would be <laughs> that would I mean, really be doing it for me. Uh.
1: Yeah. Well. <laughs> You know, lucky for the listeners, these episodes are free because they're subsidized by our patrons. That's exactly
0: right. right. favorite 100% listener-supported labor podcast. So thank you Dear listeners, for any money you might be giving us on the Patreon, it really does go a long way towards supporting the show. If you're not in our Discord, get in the Discord. It's where people get into fun arguments. Uh, and if, you, if you're a patron and you don't have your stickers yet, go ahead and message us on Patreon and we will get those stickers to you ASAP. If you want to help the show a little bit more, you can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or just go to the library. And that, that, little, that little inlay in the front cover of the book where you see all the, the punch-out marks. I'm dating myself here. Just write a review. <laughs> write a review for us in there. I'm sure libraries don't use those anymore. <laughs> I don't know.
2: Nobody ever funds the library, so I assume that the, their level of technology is frozen in like 1986.
0: So yeah, you could probably still go to my local library and play uh, Putt Putt Saves the Zoo on a Windows 98 <laughs> machine.
2: <laughs> oh man, I loved the Putt Putt games when I was they little. Were
0: they were great. They were a far sight better than that. Who is that, Captain Pajama? It doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, we're here to talk about labor, folks. And we're in. Speaking of uh, organizations that have a nominally progressive face but don't do anything to uh, help their workers, we're going to revisit Amy's Kitchen. We talked previously back on episode ninety-one in February, where there was a union drive at Amy's Kitchen, the incredibly expensive frozen vegetarian food company that tries to charge you nine dollars for a single portion. And mac and cheese. Yeah. Uh, and when we talked about them the first time, that was in Santa Rosa, California, where workers were facing stagnant low wages, inadequate health care, massive work speed up, uh, and dangerous work conditions. And they reached out to the Teamsters to launch their union drive and were immediately faced with vicious union busting campaigns by the company. Now, what we're talking about today are the workers in San Jose at a different Amy's Kitchen uh, production facility who are launching their union push trying to organize with Unite Here, who we've mentioned, who we've talked about several times on the show. So this is on Wednesday, the first of this month. Uh, The union announced that they had filed ULPs against Amy's Kitchen for a whole host of violations, a vegetarian cornucopia of NLRA (laughs) violations from the union-busting drive, including forcing workers to sit through Captain... Captive audience meetings disciplining workers for organizing and firing two workers in retaliation for the union drive unite here turned around and immediately did the thing we keep saying to do which is file that 10 j injunction uh, forcing the company to seize its illegal actions quickly
2: well, yeah, yeah i mean that's the that's the hope so uh, mm-hmm. I mean it it's one of those things where because of just how slow The NLRB's bureaucracy is, and I mean, people have made points about how underfunded it is, which is true. But that's sort of a structural part of just how the capitalist state works. But like, to the point where anything that isn't a 10J injunction forcing an immediate change by the company is really is going to get dragged out beyond the length of any normal union drive. So, Mm -hmm. really, it's it's the sort of thing that I think we kind of needs to become the new standard if people ever want to have. Anything close to fair NLRB elections, but
1: it wasn't. I, I don't know, maybe it wasn't the uh, Amy's Kitchen, uh, you know, protest, maybe it was something similar, but this wasn't the one where they like astroturfed a protest alongside yes, it. Was it? They, was. They that, litter-
2: yeah, at the Santa Rosa plant. Yep. So, yep.
1: the, yeah, you might remember that they basically paid a bunch of workers to wear Amy's Kitchen memorabilia and be like, no, we support the company as we're being paid to protest out in front of the, the plant.
2: Yeah, uh, weirdly, we didn't hear anything from Alex Jones about these literal paid protesters, crisis actors, whatever term you want to use. Mm-hmm. Uh, weirdly, the right only makes that up about actual protests. But so, yeah, like these folks at this plant in San Jose have been organizing around a lot of the same issues, you know, unsurprisingly as the folks in Santa Rosa and the, what has really, you know, kicked off and really sent their drive into a new level is that retaliation against the workers at the plant. Because two weeks ago, Hector Guardado a machine operator at the San Jose plant was fired after he led a group of his coworkers in a March on the boss to demand better treatment. And that, and when we say better treatment, we're not talking about like a six hour work day or like, you know, a foosball table, like all those fucking ads for working at Google or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, the incredibly ostentatious demands of the workers at the San Jose Amy's kitchen plant were, for instance, that workers be allowed to take bathroom breaks without being disciplined or that management stop penalizing workers for taking sick days, which they had accrued based on California's, you know, sick policy law. Mm -hmm. You
1: know, this has happened so much in so many different places where people are punished for the sick days they've accrued. I like I know that we put this meme in like many many times ago. It's like uh, employer offers sick pay, me takes sick pay, and then the the response is how could you
2: do this to me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like we we didn't give you that so you could use it. Yeah. Like, well, and then
0: and then the company uh, Amy's in a, in a devious move fired uh, Gardato ostensibly for just leaving his machine unattended during the march on the boss. So it's like we're not firing you for organizing. We're firing you for. Leaving your machine while you were organizing—it's <laughs> like, man, shut the fuck up. That's just ridiculous.
2: Yeah, it's it, one of the most transparent like excuses for retaliation that we've seen in a while. Like usually, companies at least make up something, or, or they they because they'll do surveillance on workers they think are troublemakers, mm-hmm. and they'll they'll stock up things they think they can ding people for for past violations. This one, they're just like. Well, when you came to complain about the fact that we punish you for taking bathroom breaks, who was watching your machine? Well, clearly we have to fire you. It's just like, come on. Yeah, like, geez. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and so like Raquel Alvarez, president of Unite Here Local 19 in San Jose said, quote, we are calling on Amy's management to stop retaliating against workers, to stop disciplining them, to agree to a neutral process without threats and intimidation. Workers should be able to fight for better conditions without fear, end quote. Which, absolutely yeah i mean you would think that in what is supposed to be a democracy that that would be a base level <laughs> of operation but right. of course you know, the company is denying no, but, that... Yeah, that they no, f- they
1: do respect the workers' <laughs> right to unionize and hold a free and fair election. It's just that, you know, they have to fire these people and they have to, you know, hold these uh, these captive audience meetings because, you know, for the workers' sake. Whatever bullshit.
2: <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. I, w-
0: I wish I had a button that just played the little Why You lion song. <laughs> I love the Why You Lie-In song.
2: <laughs> yeah, like... This is one of those times where, cause I've been reading like labor history and stuff and stuff from like the early 20th century, late 19th century. And it's this sort of shit almost has me like, man, at least back then the, the, the company owners were honest and were just like, no, we fired them cause they were joining the union. I don't want to pay these motherfuckers anymore. <laughs> it's just like, well, yeah, I mean, that's bad, but it's. That's the same reason that the workers are getting fired now. It's just that now they all have PR firms to tell them that they shouldn't say that openly and to just make up a bunch of lies and say all this stuff oh we we respect the yeah like the the gall to say that you respect the workers right to organize while simultaneously conducting a really harsh anti-union campaign is just so annoying yeah Yeah, yeah, our our
1: lawyers say that we're allowed to do it if we do it this way and you know we are this there are no parallels in history because we said it nicely
0: yeah, I mean, just, I feel like so many CEOs of companies, when there's a union campaign within one of their their stores or locations, uh, do the equivalent of walking up to the podium and holding a sheet of paper up upside down and going like, my lawyer has advised me to say, <laughs> we are like a family here.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. So, I mean the as if you haven't heard our episode on on the conditions at Amy's kitchen i actually do recommend folks go listen to that just because mm-hmm. it's bad there folks like for the workers that are, are are at these plants like it's an incredibly physically demanding job the company really like goes out of its way to prevent workers from being able to get medical assistance for injuries that they face on the job. And so, and they're also, you know, now really spending a lot of money on anti-union consultants to try and stop both of these union drives. And, I do hope that even though like they're, they are like one is the Teamsters and one is United here I would hope that there can at least be some coordination between the two because they the workers at both plants are you know they share the same interests they're facing mm-hmm. the same crises and I would hope that that they would be able to work together on this because like these workers absolutely deserve a goddamn union and so hopefully that we see that they're able to play, fight back against the company's union busting. Yeah. And, maybe
0: uh, instead of buying a $9 Mac and cheese, try giving $9 to the strike fund or something. You absolutely. Know? You'll, <laughs> you'll probably feel a lot better about it at the end of the day. Oh, you, you're eating Amy's products cause you're a vegetarian and you have uh, compassion for animals. Can I interest you in an animal that needs some compassion? It's called the human worker <laughs> and it's very underserved in today's economy. <laughs> Hell yeah.
2: That's right. So anyways, well, we really hope that, you know, that takes off because those workers deserve all our support. And speaking of workers who deserve all our support mm-hmm. and are themselves facing quite a difficult union drive, we, we just wanted to quickly check in on the status of the ongoing Case New Holland strike, where uh, we talked about this about a month ago when the strike began, where we there's uh, about 2,000 UAW workers in Racine, Wisconsin and Burlington, Iowa, who have been on strike at Case New Holland which is a big agricultural machinery manufacturer. They make tractors, combines, you know, all the stuff you would see on a, a major mechanized farm. And they've been in they've been on strike now for over a month and it doesn't sound like negotiations have made a lot of progress. And, and to illustrate that for instance, after the most recent negotiating meeting between the two sides uh, Yassine Mahdi, who's the president of, of Racine UAW Local 180, uh, called the company's offer baloney. <laughs> Got him, Yassine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, that's an underrated insult, calling something baloney. I, I think that's actually a lot more effective than some of the more like overtly vulgar ways you could refer to this y- well, stuff. Yeah,
0: because especially when you go for one that's so like your your really Christian aunt who doesn't swear and she says baloney instead of shit or whatever, and then you say baloney, people are like, oh fuck, he's too mad to say shit. <laughs> he said baloney.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so like, of course, Case New Holland is saying, we made a quote, all encompassing, comprehensive offer. But the union has has said that they, did, they didn't release, you know, all the details because it's ongoing negotiations, but they've said mm-hmm. that it doesn't hit one of their core things, which is it still does not provide a living wage. And and one of the things I really liked that the UAW is doing here is they are now using, and I've seen a couple of unions do this, which is cool. They've been using MIT's like living wage calculator in their negotiations where it actually takes into account. What is the cost of living in this area? What are the average rents? How much, you know, does it cost to get food and gas and the average commute? And so they've come up with a, a, a living wage for a family with both parents working and a couple of kids that the living wage for a worker there would be 24 57 an hour, which seems like a pretty rock solid reasonable demand. But of course, you know, the company is dragging its feet and trying to avoid doing that. Oh, and yeah, trying that to also
0: blame means... the strike on the union, which is just fucking insane.
1: Yeah. and well, that also means if there are any single parents, they should be making $50 an hour. That's right. Sure.
0: That's yeah. right. If only Seems it was fair. to each according to their need. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, the, the company tried to turn around and blame the continued strike on the union, and uh, UAW Vice President Chuck Browning didn't even miss a beat uh, to to flip the tables I back on... Case New Holland, he said, quote, I understand the company's frustration that their bargaining strategy to force an inadequate contract down our members' throats remains ineffective. Additionally, it appears based on their statement, the company seems just as disappointed in the determination of the UAW negotiators as we are with the content of their proposal. Their most recent statement is merely an effort, no doubt recommended by a union-busting consulting firm, to avoid sincere bargaining with the hopes of getting members to cross the picket lines or accept an inadequate contract to which neither will transpire
2: (laughs) yeah i love straight facts
1: real real nice like uh kind of cordial email voice kind of thing but still like biting
2: commentary in (laughs) every single line
0: yeah as per my last email fuck (laughs) you
3: (laughs) (laughs) yeah
2: absolutely no i mean the the communications from the union on this have been fantastic like because that's yeah everything that that Browning said in that is absolutely right. And in mm-hmm. this is also one of the things though about this strike that I mean it's we're starting to see come true. When we reported on this when it first began, like the the leadership of these UAW locals were very clear. They were like we don't think the company is going to just quickly turn around and and accept our demands. They were like we're going to have to hit them where it hurts in their wallet and that's going to take a little while to roll out. And so even though it's been a month, they've been like, yeah, we, this is going to take a while. I think the their estimate when they first launched was that it might be three to six months that they would have to stay out to really make the impact felt. And I
1: thought that was actually kind of a really good initial position to have to, like, set the expectations, not only because uh, so often we see these, like, oh, one, two, maybe one week strikes that are, like, pre-announced in that way. And, I mean, pre-announcing a six month strike is a really, really bold move and and really will help solidify the expectations of the workers in what is happening and help them keep strong through all of this uh it's one of the great things that we've seen from this particular uh strike
2: yeah and the other thing though about that strategy is it does specifically go to the importance it really gets at why we have to like even us who want the uaw to be better who want like the uaw to be more of a rank and file union and we've seen some encouraging signs with that with the one member one vote campaign Mm -hmm. as well as just you know rank and file like at the John Deere strike where they rejected multiple tentative agreements before they finally won, you know, some big gains. Even when we may have frustrations with the big unions, an organization of this size is so important because for instance, less than two weeks into the strike, CNH cut off the workers' health insurance, which we've, you know, as we as we talked about on the show is a very, very common anti-worker strike busting maneuver by companies now, but because the UAW is so big, And they have so many members, they just picked up the slack and they are providing, the union itself is now providing health insurance for the workers who are out on strike. And I'm sure, of course, you know, it's probably not quite as good as what they were getting, you know, from like what they had as part of their job contract. But the fact that the workers weren't just thrown to the wolves like that is really important because we've seen multiple strikes where this has happened and been a very effective strike breaking campaign I'm thinking like specifically of the um, the PBS workers in Chicago mm-hmm. and really? their strike because multiple I think one of their guys had cancer and couldn't get treatment
0: there was yeah. also some steel workers we talked about a really long time ago where the the parent company like took away their health care as one of the negotiating tactics and i think the union responded by upping their demands for health care even higher <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah well and i think that actually i mean based on what we know is these big member plans i mean the unions have more members than the companies have employees and do have some really amazing health care plans i think that the real conflict comes in is every single time you switch a health care plan you have to get your prescriptions re you know oh, certified yeah. under the new insurance and like I think that those are really the difficulties the workers will be facing is making sure that, you know, if, if they have like a doctor's appointment to make sure that their doctor is still covered in this insurance right. because of the, you know, in, incredibly fractured
2: nature of our, you know, non-universal healthcare system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, but one of the other things, though, that's been really good to see is it really does seem like these workers have been garnering a lot of support within the community, and like for instance, there was a—I mean, one of the. This was great. I, I saw a post this weekend where the UAW units in Waterloo, Iowa, at John Deere, who you know were on strike late last year during Striketober, and were getting a lot of support from. Like for instance, the Burlington local here are now you know returning the favor, and they've been sending over like pallets and pallets of food and water and also and like care packages for families that's with all awesome. the sorts of stuff that strikers are going to need. Which this that rules like that's ex- that's what solidarity is all about. And- well, and that is
1: like the definition of mutual aid when you set up yeah. infrastructure that is designed to meet the material needs of people. That is like actual networking infrastructure that will be there over time, and 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 be there especially in these crisis moments that is actually what mutual aid is
0: yeah well i mean when when you go and you do these in, interunion inter groups of worker when you when you send solidarity packages across the country across the state whatever like you're not just doing solidarity like in an isolated sense you're building an ecology of solidarity like an environment an ecosystem of labor relations and solidarity between workers and that's that's really fucking huge. I mean, when we say mutual aid, that goes back to a concept that Peter Kropotkin thought of because he noticed that different herbivores from different species will sound the alarm to each other to let each other know predators are coming. It's like it's that simple. It doesn't matter if you're, you're a steel worker and they're an electrician or you're a fox and they're a newt. You know, you just help each other.
2: <laughs> yeah. So that stuff's great to see. And it. Re- so, yeah, it looks like the UAW is, is ready to stand strong on this one for the long haul. So we'll probably be doing a few more updates on this because I would imagine they're going to be out there for a while. But mm-hmm. I. so, I mean, with all the strikes that we've seen where folks are confronted with this intransigent from the company and they just run out of resources or, you know, something happens and the strike isn't able to hold on seeing a big union who sometimes isn't always necessarily the most combative be like, what is this offer? This isn't what we asked for. Fuck you guys. (laughs) We're (laughs) staying out on strike until we get what we demanded. And that's always really good to see. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Well, in our next uh, story, we're going to be going to the ongoing repression at Amazon, where uh, there's been a, an expansion of Amazonian Workers United into New Jersey, where the union has done a walkout there, and uh, they've la- and there's also a new union drive that has been launched in North Carolina. Um, this week, as part of the NLRB's ongoing investigation into Amazon's union busting, new internal documents from the company were released that show how they monitor workers on every minute of their shifts. Workers at every Amazon warehouse carry handheld scanners, which the company uses to track what they call time-off task, as a way of using metrics to enforce speed-ups in disciplined workers, which is, if you remember from our... Uh, the is it the first decline of American unionism when we talk about the the 57-second the, the minute? Mm-hmm. Um, I think
2: that's and, in part two. I'm not yeah, sure exactly well, which thing. Listen well, to the whole series. No, <laughs> right.
0: I, I, you're right to bring that up. I was reminded of that immediately. And this policy seems like a weird like uh, mixture, like a weird uh, uh, amalgam of... The worst parts of the 57 second minute and the worst parts of these draconian attendance policies Mm -hmm. that we see crop up all the time that are always like these these Byzantine point systems where it's like, oh, I I missed five minutes coming back late from lunch today. So now I can't call in sick for two and a half weeks or whatever.
1: Yeah. Well, the documents show that the workers can receive a written warning for accumulating 30 minutes of time off task in a single day. Uh one time uh, uh oh yeah, yeah. Uh in a day, one time in a rolling one year period, which means yeah. that like if you have if you were like have a a really important conversation with maybe even your manager, uh that you know culminates in say twenty minutes off task and then you know you use the bathroom and then suddenly you're at thirty minutes, uh you get written up. Yeah, well and also like what is
0: this policy of one time in a rolling one year period? That just means every time. Yeah. Because there's there's no situation where it's like, oh, just used up my zeroth time. So now if I <laughs> yeah. go one more, that doesn't make any fucking sense.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's this policy is Ridiculous, I mean, because what you were pointing out, Lena, is I think really important, is that the 30-minute time on task where upon which you get written up is not a single chunk of 30 minutes where you're just, you know, I don't know, dicking around, talking to somebody, which also, totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But, like, it can be oh you took you were supposed to go to the third floor of the warehouse and you went to the fourth floor and that took you an extra 10 minutes so there's 10 minutes or like you you spent you were out on lunch for 35 minutes instead of 30 minutes so there's another 5 minutes and it can be these little ticky-tack things mm-hmm. and that's so easy for that to add up to 30 minutes in a day well cuz cuz work doesn't naturally
0: operate like that like you're not Like doing something with your hand and a tool, or whatever their idea of work is every second of every day at work, like, you do have to walk around. You do have to talk to your other coworkers and communicate what needs to be done, what's been done already, so there's not redundancy and things getting left behind. Like, th- this, right. this whole concept of, like, you need to be working 57 seconds out of every minute, it just really, I think, belies a total misunderstanding of what work is.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and additionally, they can be fired if they accumulate uh, 120 minutes of time off task in a single day, or if they've accumulated 30 minutes of time time off task on three separate days in a one-year period now i just want to quick point out that this is for any shift so when they have those 12 hour shifts and you get you know a little slow slower you're kind of tired on hour eight and it ends up you know Getting you an extra thirty minutes past whatever this—that counts as one of your thirty minutes. But also, like, just imagine—I mean—and we're going to cover this later. You know, if you were an, a worker who needed additional co- accommodations that weren't, you know, so, given to you, that made you accumulate a hundred and twenty minutes of time off task, you would just be fired outright.
0: Yeah, I mean, what what if you have a condition where, like, you need to go to the bathroom more often? What if you accidentally leave your heart medicine out in the car, and it's a really fucking long ways away, and it takes you 15 minutes to go get it? Like, there's all kinds of situations where you literally have to choose between your job and your health, or your yeah. job and, like, having a decent life, or seeing your family, or any shit like that.
2: Yeah, and it's not even just that, like, oh, maybe there's, like, a tracker in say the clock system that says that triggers, if somebody passes 30 minutes of time off task and alerts a manager or whatever, Amazon in these documents that were leaked from this lawsuit specifically in tells its managers to track workers, time off tasks and constantly be like observing who has the most time off task on any shift so that they can interrogate them, discipline them and potentially fire them. And what a waste uh, of the manager's time yeah well and that's the thing is that like i mean there can be a you have a whole incredibly long conversation about what parts of management are useful and what parts of management are completely useless and purely just labor discipline but from everything i've read about amazon that ratio seems to be about one percent to ninety nine
0: percent yeah that sounds about right to me
2: (laughs) and Amazon of course and you were alluded to this earlier Lena like says that the reason that they have to do this not just that they want to but that they have to is because quote workers commitment to completing assigned tasks is critical in order to be earth's most consumer or c- customer centric company. When and- when I hear <laughs> claims like that from companies
0: I always think about the Sherwin Williams logo are you too aware of the Sherwin-Williams logo? Yes. It's just a bucket <laughs> of paint that's drenching the whole earth, and it says, cover the earth. And I am no. like, how <laughs> fucking apocalyptic. And every <laughs> yeah. time I hear Amazon's or another company be like, we're the world's most customer-friendly company, I'm like, you are the world's maybe number one most evil company. Like, <laughs> putting aside Northrop Grumman and those folks, right. you're maybe the most evil company.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean... It it really gives us, and because and the thing is, is we've talked about how difficult the conditions faced by workers at Amazon are on the show before. I mean, I'm sure our listeners, everyone's aware of the fa- of how many workers have to, you know, piss in bottles because they, they mm-hmm. can't, because if they get, accumulate more time off task, they'll get written up and maybe fired. So, uh, every, but seeing these specific details of how Amazon runs this system is just, I, I don't know. It is – it is. I I mean, I wrote in the notes that it comes off very much as a nightmarish panopticon because it's the level of constant surveillance, control, and, and discipline for stuff that often workers will be like, I thought I was on task. And they're like, well, you took five minutes longer than you should have to get from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. And it's just like yeah. – I don't know, man, I was just walking. What do you want me to say? Yeah. I mean, it's pretty bad
1: if Dan is over here quoting Foucault because (laughs) honestly, (laughs) it's unheard of.
0: I mean, it, it, it's just, it sucks. And it, it's like you said, like those managers jobs have also just been reduced to sitting there watching numbers tick on a screen and then disciplining people. So it's all like distributed labor discipline, which is, I think really critical because it, it, prevents the workers from knowing who they need to go talk to. Like in most big businesses, you don't know anybody above your boss's boss. And if there's enough middle management padding out the company, your boss's boss ain't going to be able to fucking help you. You need their boss's boss and maybe add a few more bosses, bosses to get to the, the actual right person.
2: Yeah. So that system is, is really, yeah, it's, it's a nightmare and, and really underlines exactly why Amazon workers desperately need unions. Yes, and like how important it is that we support any and all union efforts that that's that sprout up there, and yeah. really playing off the the continuing off Amazon's policies of being evil, uh, there was a walkout last Wednesday on June first, where workers at Belmar, New Jersey, at the Amazon's Dew eight facility walked out to protest because Amazon had lied to them about where their jobs were going to go when that facility closes at the end of the month. Uh, I don't know if folks may have seen the headlines that have been going out recently about how it seems like Amazon may have overpurchased quite a bit of commercial real estate during the pandemic. And... So now that everybody's been forced to go back to work, but also nobody's getting paid anything, <laughs> the demand has dropped a bit, and so they've now been looking to offload some of their their commercial space. And so they're closing this facility in Belmar, and they initially told workers, hey, don't worry, you'll be able to transfer your job to the the DJE2 facility in West Deptford, which is only 11 miles from their current job site. Obviously not ideal, I'm sure the workers would prefer to just stay at the place that they're at, but if they're like, okay, we have a facility nearby, you'll do the same job, it'll only be 11 miles away, I think most of the workers, it sounds like, are going to be like, oh, right, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But in now now that they're much closer to the actual closing, it's like just a few weeks from now, they've now been told, oh, actually, only some of you are going to be able to switch to that one. And a lot of you, uh, we have this other place you can go transfer to in Pennsylvania, much farther away, or uh, you can quit. That's really the options they gave.
0: Yeah, I love moving between states to follow a job around. That's my idea of a healthy work situation.
1: And I imagine they've selected the people based on, you know, their, quote, time on task. Or if they have other sorts of surveillance of labor unrest, those people are the ones who are going to be like, oh, I'm sorry, your name is on the list of uh, fuck off to nowhere. (laughs) Yeah,
2: yeah. I, yeah. I mean, it's, it, I'm sure there's favoritism in there. And, uh, and so like Brenda Stringer, who is a worker at this facility and has been there for three years, which for Amazon, that's a real veteran, like through not a lot of workers last three years at Amazon. We've heard that testimony from a lot of workers during the ALU drive. Um, and, and she said that this Whole bait and switch campaign by the company shows that management at Amazon quote just don't have compassion for people. All they do is walk around and look at numbers all day. But we actually do the physical work. End quote. Which,
1: yeah, I mean, one hundred percent correct. <laughs> I've seen so many managers throughout my time who are just big like statisticians, like not not educated statisticians, but just love looking at paperwork.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, and these workers don't even have, like, the most insane demands. These would be easily met by Amazon. Uh, The ones who walked out are simply demanding that they be allowed to be transferred to the closer DJE2 facility, be able to maintain their current work schedules, and receive a dollar an hour raise to compensate for the longer commute. And that... (laughs) That's not a big ask. That seems like baseline shit that you would provide. And and they've been receiving quite a bit of support as well. A lot of workers from other nearby Amazon facilities also showed up to support them in walking out. So, uh, you know, yeah. I, I hope that this works out for these workers. I hope they get a lot more than a dollar an hour raise. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they should be able to work at the same facility they're at and force Amazon to keep it open, even if it runs at a loss. Fuck you, Bezos.
1: Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> that's definitely true. I mean... Uh I guess I was thinking uh, I was going to jump ahead to like oh yeah and there think about the store closings at Starbucks but no we're not there yet not We're not price. there yet. No. We have no. to keep moving. Uh, in, so in, in other big Amazon news this week, as per a report from More Perfect Union, uh, workers in Garner, North Carolina, have launched a union drive that could be the next uh, unionized Amazon warehouse. The workers are organizing independently via their own organization, uh, Carolina Amazonians United for sol- Solidarity. Uh, ugh. Can't. Carolina, Amazonians united for solidarity and empowerment, or cause. Uh, The workers say they were inspired by the success of the ALU, and, uh, you know, it just showed them that it was possible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, A lot of the workers said that when they originally started at Amazon, the job really wasn't that bad, but that the conditions have basically just continued to get worse unrelentingly. And uh, specifically, the main complaint seems to be that there are incredibly high temperatures in the warehouse because it has no air conditioning at all. In and, North Carolina, uh, in North Carolina, yeah, and so oftentimes during the summer, uh, workers will have to face temperatures indoors of over a hundred degrees, resulting in predictably people passing out on the floor and needing medical attention. And I gotta say, just knowing how fucking dangerous Amazon warehouses are, I can't imagine passing out in them uh, hasn't led to a bunch of like compounded issues and and serious health and safety hazards
1: one of the things that i saw in the video was that they also try very hard to hide the bodies of people mm-hmm. who have passed out they basically have like emergency pull bodies off of the floor teams in order to like be like oh no you didn't see someone pass out
0: no he just yeah. needed to be escorted to the amazon booth
2: <laughs> yeah well and it's funny because like i mean it's not funny it's it's awful but like this is actually this specific problem is one of the ways that I originally heard about Chris Smalls, like well before the ALU campaign really got going, like after the big walkout when he was fired, um, in that period where they were first setting up like the Congress of Essential Workers and figuring out how they were going to go organizing Amazon, he was retweeting a lot of different amazon workers at different facilities mostly in the south and one of the things that was constantly showing up was how a lot of these places they almost just have ambulances just stationed there because they're like they know that the workplace conditions are so bad people are going to require medical attention but it's just cheaper to keep sending people dumping people onto like the er and letting them face these awful health conditions than to actually you know climate control the warehouse right and and so like workers in addition to the the awful temperatures workers complained about the lack of break times with one worker there describing it saying quote everything is slavery time and what they mean by that is not just the fact they don't have any breaks which is a big part of it but also that for instance like when they go to get lunch By the time they walk through the building security and and go through like a metal detector and make sure, because like, you know, the companies are always paranoid at any place like an Amazon warehouse that the workers are going to steal stuff. So of course they Mm -hmm. have to like run you through security every time you go in and out. And by the time they do that, half their 30 minute lunch period is over. And as we were just talking about before, any minutes, like one, two, three minutes that you are late getting back from lunch, that goes on time off task. And if- you accrue a very small amount of that you can easily be fired so these these folks really just don't have any break time and in addition to that you know as 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 is consistent with amazon workers everywhere their pay is so low that a lot of the workers have to choose between food and paying for gas especially now when both of those things are so much more expensive than they were and, like, one worker in there described being forced to live out of their car because wages are so low. And, like, they pointed out, and this is another place where these folks are also using a living wage calculator to point out what their wages should be as a minimum, which is that in Wake County, North Carolina, where, the, where Garner is, where this warehouse is – the calculated living wage is 19.25 an hour which is you know extremely within the capability of amazon to pay all their workers like i saw a thing the other day that was estimated that bezos could personally give every single amazon worker a one time $100,000 bonus and still remain like a hundred billionaire
1: right one of like one of the top two or three richest people in the world
2: yeah and so the living wage in that county is 19.25 an hour what amazon is paying is 1550 an hour. So like that's a big <laughs> discrepancy. Like that is what 375 an hour mm-hmm. is that's like $7500 a year difference. Yeah. And oh. I mean that's on a 2000 uh Hour work year and most of these Amazon workers are probably work- working significantly more than that. Mm-hmm. So
1: well, and in a report from one of the workers, Rev Ryan, uh, reporting the absolute cop shit that Amazon is doing, <sighs> yeah. told him that the managers are told yeah, told uh, the interviewer that managers. Are, have a quota for writing up at least 12 workers per day for discipline. They yeah. have a fucking quota system for discipline. Uh, this is used as a d- justification to fire workers seen as unproductive. They pointed out that... Uh, that having to go to the doctor or take a child to the doctor is not considered a valid valid excuse for workers and will be disciplined, uh, rather than offer paid sick time or even just accepting a doctor's note for the reason of being late. Workers are told that they have to that they have to use their unpaid fifteen day medical leave, which many people can't afford. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous, and we know like. There's always jokes about, like, you know, cops have quota systems on on their tickets and all that. And, well, I mean, like though many of those systems have been officially abolished. They did exist very officially for a long time, which basically stood as just a, a means of, of disciplining the citizenry to, to then create funds for the police themselves. Then this being a parallel that Amazon is using to just keep their funds as high as possible so that they can just keep rotating workers in and out and keep wages incredibly low.
0: Well, and yeah. even in situations where we do have, like, concrete rules in place that should prevent Amazon from fucking with their employees, such as uh, one worker, Darren Good, who uses a wheelchair and is, is legally entitled to accommodations for his, his disability by the ADA, uh, was told that they would be granted, and then it took Amazon four to five months before they even started to provide the accommodations, and in the intervening time, he was written up for underperformance.
2: Yeah, like, that's one of those things where you just, I get into the human factor on that one where I'm like, I, look, I have, a, you know, we have all our problems and our, our, our class interests, our differences with the management. But, like, I, I don't know. I just want to talk to that manager that writes up the guy in the wheelchair who hasn't been given accommodations for being unproductive. Like, even if the company is telling you to do that.
1: Yeah. Like, and just,
2: just be like, like, oh, oops, I disciplined the wrong person today. Sorry. Yeah. Like come on. What the fuck? That's insane.
1: Yeah, I mean talk to is a very uh kind sentiment, but we're going to keep it <laughs> we're going to yeah. keep it uh you know safe and uh you know non-actionable here in the podcast. Yeah.
2: And and so, you know, these these workers in cause who are now fighting for their union at this facility, uh they said that not only were they directly inspired by the work of the ALU, but that they are also hoping that in not only can they unionize their facility but then that they can reach out to other Amazon workers in the south in North Carolina to also like share tips for what's worked for them and help them organize which you know we always love hearing that and I also this is one of those things it's like this is one of the reasons that why, you know, Chris Smalls has been such an inspirational organizer is like they closed at, out their video on More Perfect Union, their interview with the workers, where worker organizer Albert Elliott paraphrased Smalls' testimony in, in front of Congress earlier this year, saying, quote, we are your company. We are Amazon. And without us, nothing moves. That's, That's right.
3: right.
0: Well, we're going to take a a break from the East Coast. We love you, New Jersey and North Carolina. But now we're going to go to Seattle. And it is not for Starbucks. You're going to have to stay in your chairs uh, and wait for us (laughs) to get to that. Uh, But we have some really good news from Seattle, which is that on June 1st, the Seattle City Council passed the first minimum wage law for gig delivery workers in the whole country and this bill requires gig delivery companies like DoorDash, Grubhub, Instacart and Uber Eats to ensure that workers are paid at least the city's minimum wage of 17.27 after expenses, not including tips. The rules would also require payroll transparency and prevent app companies from punishing gig workers based on which jobs they accept or the hours they work. And I'm really struck by the fact uh, that it's going to require payroll transparency because that in particular is going to do a service not just to the workers in Seattle, but to anybody who works for these companies.
1: Yeah, and I mean, expenses, that includes car maintenance and Mm -hmm. gas, um, not including tips is really important because the idea that workers are paid exclusively on tips is, you know, putting the responsibility of paying the workers not on the company that is employing them, but then on the goodwill of the of the people who are receiving the services. Uh, if there is any sort of tips going on, they should just be complimentary to the workers. Of course, um, but yeah, on a, in a recent study of gig workers in Seattle, it found that the average pay for workers was. 958 per hour which is incru- it's a hell lower than it, than the actual minimum wage of it's this area. barely
2: barely over half the minimum wage. There. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and 90, 92% of the gig workers make less than the city's minimum wage. Uh, yeah, ninety-two percent of gig workers make less than the city's minimum wage. Uh, previous nationwide studies have found that that for many of the uh, Uber and Lyft drivers, that wages uh, barely cover expenses incurred, such as gas and wear on their vehicles. So this, you know, law actually does something to to, to deal with that. Thank goodness.
2: Yeah. Like there was one Seattle gig worker, Wei Lin, who explained the conditions that they face trying to make ends meet. And they said, quote, when I started working on GoPuff, I had no idea what I'd be facing. I have to put in 70 or 80 hours a week just to get by. Each order only pays $4. Oh my god! Sometimes that doesn't even cover our gas and mileage costs, end quote. And yeah, I mean, we've talked about this on the show plenty of times. Like, DoorDash last year took in $5 billion in revenue. And these companies are based entirely, their whole business model, the whole thing, all it is, is evading labor law. That's that's their entire, you know, quote unquote, disruption of the economy. It's just, they figured out legal loopholes where they could use these apps to get, and the misclassification of workers as independent contractors, to get around labor law. That's it. They're not fundamentally changing how delivery is done. They're just making it more exploitative. And so, like, you know, we're not, we're certainly not reformists on this show, but this sort of reform where you're actually making sure that workers are getting paid at least the minimum wage, mm-hmm. like this is the sort of thing that can actually help empower workers, that can give workers some breathing space to potentially maybe have time to do further organizing. Well, yeah, that, and that's things. why so, these
0: are the reforms that we are often not allowed to do because they're the scary right. reforms that actually empower the working class.
2: Right, mm-hmm. absolutely. And so like this is a, a really good step towards towards actually bringing the really the lawless criminal industry that is gig work back into proper regulation Mm -hmm. and like just to highlight how this is not just you know a problem in certain areas like obviously this fact that 92 percent of gig workers in seattle were making less than minimum wage that sounds like, oh, that's, that's huge. Well, that, that, you think that must just be because Seattle as a major city on, the, on a coast has a really high minimum wage. But there was a recent study by the Economic Policy Institute on gig work across the country that exposed that these conditions are pretty much everywhere that gig work is. Where they found that 14% of workers reported earning less than the federal Minimum wage, which, as people know, is a joke mm-hmm. at seven twenty-five an hour and hasn't changed in, I think, like I don't know, fifteen years at this point. Now, I mean, it's- shit.
0: When I when I drove my old minivan into the ground doing Uber and Lyft for like six months, I I remember doing the calculation and I was making like ten fifty an hour or something like that, like better than the federal minimum wage, but still just really fucking low for living in a major city.
2: Yeah, Yeah. and and nearly a third of all gig workers reported making less than their state's minimum wage, which that is an enormous percentage Mm -hmm. of these companies' workforce. And just underlines, it's like, when these companies are profitable, where are their profits coming from? It's just evading labor law. Like, that's it. That's the whole thing with these companies. I mean, they have 30% of gig workers reported having to rely on food stamps just to be able to get food. Almost 20% reported going hungry in the last month. 62% reported wage theft due to issues with being able to clock in and out on the apps, which is over three times the rate of reported wage theft by properly classified workers in the service sector. And nearly three quarters of all gig workers, so the, a super majority, mm-hmm. reported that their wages made it difficult to cover bills every month. This is a fake industry that is purely based on squeezing workers to death.
1: Well, and with these people being paid under the minimum wage, that also classifies as wage theft. I mean, when they said that they saw wage theft in here, that's not actually talking about being paid under the minimum wage. It's additional forms of wage theft. And I do want to point out that though the Economic Policy Institute has one of those NGO names that is a little scary, they're actually one of the cool ones. And a lot of the people who who do reporting uh, from the uh, EPI are actually really good reporters who are on the side of labor. So if you do see that. It is a scary name, but I think that they're actually kind of legit.
2: Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they tend to do much more pro-labor sort of stuff than you see from most uh, right. think tanks.
0: Well, and it's nice to see a pro-labor you know law like this actually get passed and provide some payroll transparency. I mean, like I was saying earlier, it's going to be really interesting to see how that shakes out in the city of Seattle because I think— workers for these companies all across the country are going to be eagerly awaiting those results. Uh, But there are limitations to this, which I mean, mainly that it only takes place in Seattle. I don't know how that's going to work for deliveries that go across the city line and all of that shit, but I'm sure they'll get it ironed out. Uh, But Dan, you were mentioning how these companies entire business model is basically skirting labor law. And another big limitation of this is that it's not going to take effect for 18 months. And so basically these companies are being given a year and a half to plot and plan and retaliate and challenge in court and try and figure out generally how to continue to skirt these laws.
2: Yeah. And 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 this is one of those things where, like, look, I think this is really almost unreservedly a very good law it's mm-hmm. an excellent thing i'm very glad that seattle did this i hope that we see this like there's no reason why new york la chicago any any of these major cities can't just literally copy paste this law the one thing i would say is yeah the part of the law where it says this will take place in effect in 18 months why don't you change that to like three months <laughs> or two, two weeks so, yeah, something much shorter. Whatever, Basically, whatever the minimum in your state's constitution for how short you can make it for a right. law like this to take place, just put that in there. That's, like, one of the only changes. But, yeah, and, of course, you know, the gig companies are like, oh, this is so terrible. This We're, we're going to have to pass along all of these costs to the consumer, which, like, first off, I don't care. Like, a generally, Like, genuinely, <laughs> if, if you, in fact, had to, if that was really the only way the company could continue to operate – Okay, in the same way that we've said that if you run a restaurant and you can't afford to pay your workers a minimum wage, your restaurant does not deserve to be in business because it's not an actual business model. It's the same thing with these gig companies. If if the only way you can provide delivery that people will pay for is to pay your workers nothing – then that's not a service that needs to be in place.
0: But also, don't yeah. lie. You're making money hand over fist right, right. now, and you can still make an, an, an inordinate amount of money, a very, very large sum of money every year by paying your workers more, not raising the fucking prices, and just providing the service that you pretend to fucking provide. Like...
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like they could just, cause this is one of the things it's what we always hear when you say, oh, if you raise the minimum wage, the cost of a burger is going to go up. And it's like, Hey, we have empirical studies to show that's not true, but they always leave out that it's like the idea that the company might just reduce their profit margin. Oh no, no. That what that's, that's ridiculous. It's never brought up despite the fact that theoretically, if you really believe in a free market, That's what you would be talking about because that's how competition works. Yeah, well, I mean, like, take the
0: Arizona green tea guy didn't raise the prices. And I have my own whole host of problems with how he's using that basically as a PR campaign when it's just something they should all do is not raise the fucking prices. But it does kind of, you know, prove that you don't fucking have to. (laughs) Yeah,
2: Yeah. absolutely. So this law rocks. People need to copy it. Hell yeah.
1: Well, uh, we're going to be doing a nice kindness to some of our more some of the listeners who are not in the United States and are always excited when we head on over to England and cover a story. Well, we're going to be covering the uh, a, st- a pending strike that is about to. Ha- well, I mean, they authorize a strike that is going to happen uh, with the national railway system in England, where the. Uh, National Union of Rail, Maritime, and Transport workers have voted overwhelmingly 89% to 11 to authorize a strike this past week. RMT represents over 40,000 workers across England. The workers are fighting for better pay, working conditions, uh, especially around safety. Uh, If it goes forward, the strike would begin in mid-June and would be the largest since 1926. That's right. That is fucking huge.
0: I love seeing yeah. these, these transportation uh, disputes in England. It's like, oh, the ferries ain't running. The trains ain't running. Simple <laughs> ass.
3: <laughs>
2: I also like that Australian. extremely Australian <laughs> British accent.
0: <laughs> I've been making a lot of fun of Australia recently, so forgive me. I tried to go Peaky Blinders and couldn't quite summon it up.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I paid, hey, better than I could do. Uh, yeah. But, like, yeah, and I will say for our, our listeners – I tried to get the whole British versus English versus UK distinction right on this. I apologize if I didn't, (laughs) but (laughs) uh, I believe that this is largely confined specifically to England because there are different contracts in the different parts of the UK. So like Wales, trains have a different contract scottish trains have a different contract but england of course being the physically largest of the components within the uk i mean this is, would be an enormous strike and mm-hmm. the unions have said that you know while they they made this big strike vote to show hey we are serious about this they are hoping that that show of unity by 89% of these 40,000 workers voting to authorize a strike that that will force the government slash rail companies to come back to the table. Like RMT general secretary, Mick Lynch said, quote, today's overwhelming endorsement by railway workers is a vindication of the union's approach and sends a clear message that members want a decent pay rise, job security, and no compulsory redundancies. And so a lot of this is really coming out of the fact that, English rail has gone through a couple of different series of being nationalized for a very long time, then being privatized, then shocker, the private companies completely mismanaging it to withdraw as much profit from it as possible. And then the state having to reluctantly re-nationalize at least parts of the sector and which people in the so, US wouldn't have any idea about as we've never
1: right. had a publicly owned right. railway system.
0: Well, and it's yeah, our, I mean, it's our fucking influence that is convincing these European countries to privatize their stuff in the first place and also when they renationalize it to not just renationalize it wholesale in many cases.
2: Yeah, and the the big thing that is pushing this strike is that like workers since the start of the pandemic have been operating under a wage freeze and now that the governments, you know, all Western governments are declaring the pandemic over and trying to move on to, quote unquote, normalcy. Now, basically, the company is saying the, the nationalized company, uh, what it, Network Rail that operates the railways, is saying, well, look, we spent all this money to keep the rails operating during the economic downturn at the beginning of the pandemic. Now we got to tighten our belts. And so they're proposing to cut. 2,500 jobs over the next two years in an attempt to save $2 billion. <laughs> Which, okay, that's a lot of money, but I feel like uh, you could probably save that money by doing literally anything other than cutting 2,500 jobs, especially when it's not as if you've been having huge pay raises for these workers. Again, their raises, they haven't had a raise in three years. Yeah. And, well, and, and who
1: are they cutting is another question, which is well, mostly yeah. safety people.
2: Well, and the other thing is is that the reason that you have to cut twenty five hundred people to save two billion dollars is how low a lot of these workers' wages are. Like the average salary in the of workers in the RMT is only twenty four thousand pounds a year, which is the equivalent right now to about thirty thousand dollars. So that's a that's a low salary. For for really anything. I mean, that's, you know, that's the equivalent of $15 an hour. And yeah, as you were saying, Lena, specifically who they're targeting for being, quote, redundant workers, which is that term they love to use over in England whenever they fire people, is that it's mostly maintenance and inspection workers that they're targeting, which if you're somebody who uses the train system a lot, you do not want them firing maintenance and inspection people because if you don't have enough maintenance and inspection people, you start running into safe staffing issues. You then aren't able to do inspections and maintenance work that you need to do that gets pushed down onto the back burner and that's how deadly accidents happen.
0: No, Dan, the only thing a train needs is a conductor. (laughs) They don't even need two. One is fine.
2: Yeah. Uh. Yeah, I mean, that's like U.S. rail system just like, you are like little baby. Here's our one-man crew that then goes off a siding and crashes into a chemical plant. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well, while the U.K. government says that these cuts are necessary to keep the rail system solvent, uh targeting savings of 400 million pounds per year with job cuts, they neglect to mention that the privatization of major parts of the railroad have resulted in a waste of over 700 million pounds a year in the form of profits extracted for these private firms. I mean, simply renationalizing these firms would be a great cost-cutting measure that could deal with almost all of these issues, in fact, beyond what they intend to do with these wage cuts or these job cuts.
2: Yeah, I mean, because their argument is basically that, well, if we don't cut these jobs, we're going to have to raise the fares and the people can't afford that. And that's, and they always leave out, A, well, if you could also just spend more money on the rail system. But B, as as you were pointing out, like the amount of money that they're trying to save is less than half of the amount of money, or just over half the amount of money that gets siphoned out of the rail system by middlemen in the form of profit. And they could <laughs> both eliminate the 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 savings that they want to have by firing these workers and raise wages and lower fares if all they did was renationalize everything it's just one of these things where there's this old idea that privatized systems will run more efficiently and then we find out every single time that that's not true Especially on something like a railroad. Well, of
0: course it does run more efficiently when you privatize it, Dan. It just runs more efficiently for all of the already rich people in well, England yes. and Britain <laughs> who are now investors <laughs> in
1: it. Well, yeah, and it, speaking more, of more the efficiently bourgeois... It, like they're actually trying to say that uh they're trying to deride the the workers for calling the strike vote saying uh it's hugely disappointing and premature that the RMT is calling the industrial action before even entering discussions. And it's like Oh yeah,
0: thank you so much for your contribution to the labor situation, <laughs> Lord Fartlebank. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, this is one of the the, the pearl clutching on this. Oh, they had the strike authorization before they even sat down. So that sounds like they put themselves in a really good negotiating position. Yeah,
1: that's right. That's right. Well, um the rail companies estimate that the, if the strike occurs, it would, uh, at best, be able to run twenty percent of their trains at normal capacity using their <laughs> scab workers. And uh, the but these strikes would not necessarily, you know, make it any effect in Wales or Scotland, who are on different contracts. So yes, this is an England-based contract. We we, we nailed this. Yeah,
0: yeah, but Although... it doesn't even matter if it wouldn't disrupt Scotland because Scotland's disrupted right now anyway. <laughs> There's an yeah, ongoing could... dispute with the train drivers' union in Scotland. Scotland, so way to go scottish train drivers standing up for yourselves <laughs> yeah. As well.
2: yeah yeah i mean it's this whole thing is just so ridiculous it's like oh well so we got workers to accept not getting a raise for three years and so in return we're also going to fire 2,500 of them and they should just accept that like okay uh no and so like eddie dempsey assistant general secretary of the rmt was pointed to exactly that saying quote don't forget we kept this country moving during the pandemic we've tightened our belts we haven't had a pay rise at the same time the private companies made bumper profits end quote yeah
1: i I like that the terminology is like you know i've never heard bumper profits but i know exactly what they fucking mean
2: yeah Yeah. so it's just like a bumper crop right yeah, and of course, you know, you have the the Tory government is doing all their fear-mongering about, oh, this is going to destroy the English economy, and why are the workers being so Ooh. disruptive? And it's just Hell like... Yeah. Pay the fucking workers, assholes. Like re renationalize the goddamn rail companies. Stop wasting money. But like <laughs> I don't mean I to don't be know.
0: contrarian, but I think the workers <laughs> should maybe be more disruptive.
2: <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> anyways, this rocks, as we've said before, like, you know, logistics workers, rail workers, trucking workers have a unique ability really in the modern economy to disrupt everything in whichever country they're in and so really should take advantage of that when it comes to these sorts of negotiations and so whether or not this produces a stri- a an actual strike or if it forces the company to come back to the negotiating table i actually you know i would take the opposite position of the the gov the like politicians complaining about this. I think that calling the strike before the start of negotiations was a great move and is the sort of thing that, you know, company that uh, unions should be looking at in these sorts of situations because it gives them that leverage. And so we'll, we'll see what happens. It's it'll be probably within the, if it does happen, the strike will likely start within the next couple of weeks. If it does happen, I can't imagine it would last that long because like trains are really important, <laughs> in England and the economic impact of this strike would be enormous and would be felt immediately. I mean, especially when we're still dealing with the fallout from P and O Ferries firing all their goddamn workers and having to shut down most of their freight. So, uh, I don't know. This doesn't seem like the right time for the Tory government to be thinking about trying to break a strike like this. I think maybe it would be smarter for everyone if they just gave the workers what they want. Yeah, I yeah. agree.
1: Well, uh, in our next story, which we are not quite at Starbucks yet, we are actually going to be covering a very cool music story Hell where yeah. Moog workers have announced their union drive with IBEW.
0: Uh, Except the, is... the air horn is like a, an acid stab, like yeah. a modular
1: bass <laughs> <laughs> yeah. stab. Uh, so, if you don't know, Moog is like a, a classic company that makes synthesizers, effects pedals, processing devices, and are basically like the name of synthesizers in music. And they're made in Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, this is where the workers have announced unionizing with IBW Local 238. And while Moog is internationally recognized leader for producing synthesizers, uh, organizers say the company refuses to pay even close to a living wage. Mm-hmm. The starting hourly rate for assemblers, packers, and warehouse workers at the company is fourteen ten per hour. It's like, do you know how much these cost? These cost multiple thousand dollars each. Like it's. Insane, like I think that maybe one of their cheapest units is like four thousand dollars, and Oof. their more expensive units are upwards of ten fifteen thousand dollars,
0: yeah, I mean, Damn. you can easily spend like thirty or forty thousand dollars just kidding out your studio with moog stuff, and it it wouldn't even be difficult to spend that much. Dang.
1: Dang. Yeah. Well, yeah, and like I mean... the other workers, there is a, a calculation of the living wage in Asheville, which is seventeen seventy an hour. Uh, basically, saying that they're paid three fifty lower than what the what a living wage is. Mm-hmm. Uh, workers involved in this union drive uh, pointed out the enormous contradictions that they that they face in building and packing these instruments, saying uh, we we have uh, uh, Jack uh, Danke uh a line worker at the plant saying every single instrument i pass through or i pass through my station sells for more than my monthly take home wages and i'm expected to go through 11 daily
0: god yeah. Man, real fucking reading capital hours just like realizing how many thousands of dollars a day you're producing in in value for your boss while you take home 14 10
1: an hour. Yeah. How yeah. many how many coils of solder make one synthesizer, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, that exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so in addition to fighting for a living wage, Uh, The Moog workers, which, by the way, I was very much appreciative of my co-hosts because as somebody who is not in the music industry, I always thought the company was pronounced Moog. (laughs) But um, anyway, so the workers there are also fighting with their unionizing with the IBEW to prevent workers from, you know, having to just be fired for no reason as we are so used to in our at will system for transparency from executives and specifically to have a say in the way the companies run. And they said that, When workers started to get together to talk about unionizing, they had originally talked about, oh, well, what if we do just, what if we just, you know, try and present stuff to the management and see if we can get them to change it, and eventually determined that really they felt that the only way they would be able to make sure their rights are protected and to force Moog to bargain with them in good faith was to actually go forward with forming a union, which, yeah, 100% correct on that point. It sounds
0: to me like these folks who put together synthesizers are pretty smart. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And one of the specific actions from the company that prompted this organization and the timing of the union drive is that there was a recent series of layoffs of 14 workers at the plant who were disproportionately people of color or trans workers. And four of the 14 who were fired had been vocal in challenging executives during company meetings, and two had, been, had actually been some of the people who started the unionization effort and were part of the volunteer organizing committee at Moog. So one of the things that I just wanted to point out with here is we hear so many times from the most annoying fucking people on the internet that workers, especially like white workers don 't really care about racial issues or protecting like or fighting against bigotry against LGBTQ folks, and that if we want to have successful organizing drives, we have to put that stuff aside to the background and this is example number one hundred and seventy five thousand that that is lo- not true, that is complete horseshit, and that Every form of the class struggle is absolutely vital to any successful organizing effort. Like these workers, there was no PMC consultant who parachuted in from the like New York City to tell these workers that they had to care about their trans coworkers. They cared about them because they are their coworkers. And mm-hmm. so they want to have these anti-discrimination policies put into place. That is an organic workplace demand. And so I, like, I know this is like a little bit of a tangent, but like I'm so tired of hearing that sort of nonsense from people that we have to like, uh, like suppress the fight for all of these different forms of liberation when it is in fact the opposite, that it is only by embracing – all of those struggles that we can actually unite workers as a class. No, and no, this no organizing wait. drive is, this is another example of that.
0: The only way to move forward on all the important issues is to ignore most of the important issues.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> what, what could be a better play? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's just, I, I know it's stupid on its face, but we hear, it. From, I don't know. I still see it from people, and I I just wanted to yell about that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
3: well,
1: uh, I mean, one other thing that the workers note is that uh, Michael Adams, the company owner, uh, president, uh, sold 49, specifically 49% Mm -hmm. of the company to its employees in 2005, and it has done nothing to improve working conditions, which is yet another example of how, big quotes, worker ownership, which, you know, I mean, obviously this is, like, some sort of Aesop, light model, uh, doesn't do anything when there is not actual struggle involved in it, because it's just a PR smokescreen to say, hey, look, we're progressive, and then that's it. It's the end. That's the end of the whole thing. This drive is happening in uh, North Carolina, which I think is really notable, because it's the least unionized, or well, one of the least unionized states in the country with only 2.6% union density, and so, I mean, there's probably a reason why some of these companies move there in the first place because they want to avoid this sort of thing. But I'm glad that these workers are not intimidated by that, and I'm li- I'm glad to see even more workers, as we see like at Starbucks and other places, to not be and in Amazon to not be intimidated by this this uh, daunting figure, and to say, hey, those are rookie numbers. We got to bump those numbers up. That's right. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and I, that's the thing, like, with these is I've seen some people trying to downplay some of the recent union, like, energy and being like, well, no, look, these drives are all good, but, we, you know, we haven't seen, a, you know, a huge historic surge in the, the number of, like, actual workers we have, like, organized. But, I'm like, first off, it's only a few months into the year, and we've already seen, like, an enormous surge in the number of union filings. But there's also a – what you were alluding to, like, Lena, there's a qualitative shift. Like this drive at Amazon in North Carolina, the unanimous victories we've seen from Starbucks stores in North Carolina, South Carolina, Alabama, Missouri. Like these are places where you don't see union victories of any size. And and we're seeing workers stand up and fight back in all those states right now, which is incredible, encouraging, and the sort of thing that we need every union to – take notice of and 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 actually materially support Because yeah. like, this is a real moment right now And we have to, to maximize like The potential that it has And really take advantage of it
1: Well and in the workers efforts to actually gar- Garner support they held a rally uh, Last Wednesday uh, It's currently the 6th We're recording on a Monday this week uh, Where they were reaching out With uh, community leaders to announce The union drive and build support for the public Which is very encouraging Because yeah. I mean as we know Especially with these union drives in places which are notoriously difficult to unionize, you have to have that community support. And them reaching out to the community leaders and and trying to build public support is so immensely important and actually gives me a lot of hope that we're going to see these Moog workers unionized.
2: Yeah, I mean, that would be fucking radical. And so speaking of unions stepping up and providing support— we're finally there, folks. Uh, I know there was a lot of stories this week, but there's been a lot going on uh, in the world of labor organizing. But so now we're on our, our weekly Starbucks roundup. And we had a big story last Thursday, June 2nd, where Workers United, who are, of course, the SEIU affiliate, who have been providing the resources and, and, and training and guidance background for all the individual little rank and file campaigns at the Starbucks workers United stores announced they were establishing a $1 million strike and defense fund in order to help workers in that drive, take action. Like in a statement, Lynn Fox, who's the president of workers United said, quote, in establishing this fund, we want Starbucks partners to know that we have their backs and are solidly behind them as they bravely organize and negotiate for better working conditions in their workplace. End quote. And I mean, that's huge. Like, a million. Do- I know it's like it's a national strike fund, and there's a ton of different Starbucks campaigns, and so you know it, it could get used up. But that's an enormous injection of support for these workers. Like uh, w- there was like Kyla Clay, who's a worker organizer in in Boston, uh, uh, talked about the potential impact, saying, "Quote: By creating this strike fund, Workers United has not only enabled but empowered partners to fearlessly organize our stores and hold Starbucks accountable to its obligation to negotiate in good faith." This support will propel our movement forward as a growing number of stores prepare to meet at the bargaining table this summer, end quote. Yeah. And hell like, yeah, this stuff is so important for workers to have these resources because as we, you know, we talk about every week, all the repression these folks are facing, like workers being fired in retaliation, workers being written up, stores being closed, people being moved to different stores, having their hours slashed. And we've seen all of these stores, so many workers without any of this support take the initiative and go on strike like without any material support. And so now that there's this pool of a million dollars, you know, and there have also been some donations from other groups. I think the AFT uh, donated $50,000 to this fund, which is pretty dope. Uh, I, I think the teamsters have also contributed, but like this is exactly the sort of thing that we need to help these rank and file drives be able to maintain Those sorts of strikes and be able to stand up against the retaliation from Starbucks. Yeah. I want to see the
1: UFCW contribute, honestly. (laughs) Uh, Yes. As Tyler Keeling, uh, the Los Angeles worker organizer said, "We will not back down. We will not let our voices be silenced. We will be heard. We now no longer have to be scared." And I think that that is a really important uh, thing to from the workers themselves saying, "Hey, you know, it's been intimidating to to possibly go out and strike. We already are, you know, struggling with our pay and making sure that we can, uh, you know, help keep our momentum going. And and the idea that there's a strike fund out there for us is going to." just bolster the support for the union
0: yeah and, and it's really it's so critical it, yeah it's absolutely critical that they have this right now especially because starbucks uh, anti-union campaign has showed no signs of slowing down and has only seemingly intensified with every passing day uh case in point on friday june 4th workers united actually filed an unfair labor practice against starbucks for permanently closing the recently unionized store in ithaca where workers had gone on strike over An overflowing grease trap, among other things, and I every time this fucking grease trap comes Mm up, it's like shocking to me that that this is the store that they would close because like this is one of the most you know right up front obviously legitimate demands workers could possibly have in their workplace is that like a grease trap full of fucking maggots keeps overflowing on the floor and we don't feel like we can adequately serve customers or take care of ourselves in here.
1: Yeah, the yeah. actual letter from Littler Mendelssohn is pretty appalling as well. Yeah. We have that in the in the um, in the Worker News channel in the Discord. So it,
2: yeah, it's it's bullshit. Like they they claim that they're closing the store for business reasons, but like they're like, oh well, workers complained about these problems, so I guess we have to close the store. Which is like, motherfucker. This problem existed well before the union. You didn't close the store then. You're only closing the store now that the workers unionized and actually, you know, have some force behind their objections. And so, yeah, this is nonsense. I mean, one of the workers at the store, Evan Sunshine, said, Starbucks won't get away with retaliating against us like this. Whatever it takes, however long it may take, we will persevere. Which... Hell yeah. I mean, love that. Love the energy. And the vice president of Workers United, Gary Bonadonna Jr., was pretty explicit, called the closing a blatant act of war and vowed that the union would fully support the workers in fighting it. So one of the things that I think is so frustrating to me about this particular closing in Ithaca is, as we talked about before, every store in Ithaca, every Starbucks is union. So It's not like closing this is even, which would still be bad and still be illegal, but it's not as if they're closing this to prevent other nearby stores from picking up on the momentum. They already lost that battle. Like there's no, there's not even a union drive for them to further stop in the area. It's exactly. It is pure retaliation out of spite against the workers for standing up for themselves. And so like, that that is is i think why this close this closing has struck such a nerve and there's been a big social media campaign re- over the past like weekend by Starbucks Workers United to get the information about this out there and so that people know what Starbucks is doing and so this is bullshit i'm really glad that workers united is standing fully behind these workers and planning to support them in their fight to stop this store from closing absolutely well
1: I guess we should uh, talk about all of the great victories that we've seen this past week. I mean, that's right. Last Tuesday, on the thirty-first of May, Oklahoma got its first unionized Starbucks when the twenty-third and Robinson store in Oklahoma City voted in favor of joining the union movement. On the same day, Pittsburgh got their fourth store on the, which is the East Carson store that voted for the union.
0: That's right then. down the street from that Burger King that ran without their parent company's licensing for a while. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
2: yeah, the pirate Burger King. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah. Uh, then the following day, Wednesday, June first, three more stores in Maryland voted to join Starbucks Workers United. Uh, a store in Bel Air won their election five to eight. A store in Nottingham won theirs ten to two, and the store in Stevensville won their election six to three, uh, making it at the time 104 stores. Nice on. Thursday, June 2nd, workers got yet another overwhelming victory in the South where workers in a store in Columbia, South Carolina became the third union store in the state to become a unanimous vote or became the third store in the state to be union with a unanimous vote of 12 to 0. Hell yeah, unanimous vote. Um, on the same day three more stores in Portland, Oregon won their uh their union election. Uh Jenkins and Cedar Hills 10 to 2, Walker Road 12 to 5 and Garden Home 12 to 1. And then in the biggest garden victories which like I th- I just Uh, it's true on friday june 3rd workers got their biggest clean sweep in the movement so far where four different stores in massachusetts won their elections unanimously stores in worcester westford brookline and boston won their elections with a combined 39 to zero (laughs) all in the same day that's Way to go, Massachusetts.
0: That legal weed is doing
3: wonders.
1: (laughs) 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 Yeah. And Texas got their first union Starbucks when Austin's uh, 45th and LaMarche store voted 10 to 1 in favor of unionizing, totaling now 114 unionized Starbucks. Just amazing. And we're going to, I mean, this whole United States map is going to be lit up with union stores in no time. I'm very excited about it.
2: I think we're at 25 states now that have union Starbucks. So, Hey, halfway there well, and we're half, at, half to go.
0: And we're at something like a 93% success rate for <laughs> stores. <Yeah>.
2: unionizing. <laughs> and that's the other thing. Like this is in six months, six months ago, there were zero unionized yeah. Starbucks. There are now 114. <laughs> like, I don't know this, this fucking rules uh, as always. Congratulations to all of the workers at these stores. I, incredible, continued series of victories by this movement. Uh, If, you know, if... if Oh, one thing I wanted to point out to our listeners. If it turns out that there's a Starbucks near you that you happen to patronize that hasn't filed for a union, still a good idea if you go there to... Like, when you order something, put the name as Union Strong or Union Yes... Just that level of solidarity, you never know. It might be the sort of thing that might push somebody from being on the fence about the union to being like, you know, maybe we should join that
1: movement. Yeah, and if you are working at a Starbucks right now, go to the Workers' United website. They have a contact form to actually uh, reach out to them. I know that they're very busy and, you know, they might not get back to you right away, but, you know, that's because they are constantly organizing tens and tens of stores, uh, hopefully soon hundreds and hundreds of stores but yeah. Um, So
2: yeah. Speaking of things that also rock, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. it's time for the meme review. That's right.
1: <laughs> I I love this one. this is a uh this is a union busting meme. Which we have brought in here, which uh, you know is like a unions create barriers. Which we have this uh, this photo of of I guess water water buffalo sorts. It's kind of
2: it, or wildebeests. I don't. I, I, yeah, it's wild one of those the, two. Wildebeest
1: sounds You're right. You're going to make me do my Australian
0: next, accent again the, if you the, say <laughs> wildebeest.
1: <laughs> the next one is uh, we prefer direct communication with our team members. Which this one has lions eating the wildebeest <laughs> specifically four lions is... eating the one wildebeest right right yeah exactly i guess this isn't as uh, as how i initially portrayed it this seems like uh, some union propaganda folks
2: <laughs> yeah well cuz this is like this is what they really mean when they talk about oh well the unions are just going to put a barrier between us and the workers and it's like yeah, it's a protective barrier. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's a sneeze guard. You fucking
2: piece of
3: shit. you ever been to subway.
2: Uh Yeah, it's like, Bo, but if you put it, but if the unions there between us and the workers, how how are we going to keep exploiting the worker? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That makes well, it harder
0: for me to pick your pockets.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well and uh to to begin our uh Pride month coverage where right. we're gonna be going to our next meme where it says where it's the skeleton who has these flames in the background and their hands are up and it says, Gays aren't going to hell but landlords are and then <laughs> And, uh, the skeleton obviously is a, uh, is a, is a landlord where it says, why do I monopolize a human right? And then there's arrows pointing at created artificial scarcity. I just love your income so much.
2: Yeah, I I loved this one where it's just, it's just like oh no, why did I do this thing that's obviously parasitic and doesn't help anything and just ruins people's lives. <laughs> Rewriting
0: Dante's Inferno so it conforms to Mao Zedong
2: thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there aren't nine circles of l There's just one really big one, and it's all landlords. Yeah. <laughs> This, this next one isn't, I guess, isn't technically a meme or, but it, it is like a a quick snapshot somebody took of a like recruiting flyer that little Caesars was, I guess, passing out, uh, where it's, it's just a flyer. It's got of course, like everything has got a fucking QR code on it and it's advertising working there. And the top thing that it's advertising to people is selfie breaks. That's right. Little Caesars is hiring team members in Georgetown, Texas. Let's help our community together while enjoying great benefits, which benefits is I think spelled wrong. But um <laughs> it and is then wrong. it's <laughs> it, it's got a list uh, of the benefits, quote unquote, that that the working at Little Caesars provides, which are selfie breaks, competitive pay. <laughs> it does not list the pay. Uh Little Caesars meal discounts. Oh wow. Flexible schedules Uh-oh. and you get to be yourself. Wow. That's
1: always a fucking lie. Oh real real God.
0: Sartrean notion of freedom hours where it's like, yeah, even if you're kept locked in a cage or in complete bondage, uh, you can still be free in your mind. Fuck you, Sartre. You're wrong. Uh, <laughs> and also The idea of, of selfie breaks It's like okay yeah capitalism is crumbling Around you we're definitely not going to pay you enough To pay your bills but you can take a selfie While the world burns here at Little Nero's
2: <laughs> well, That's a well, dank that's little Roman history joke <laughs> It's basically like You can take a, a break Quote unquote to advertise the company That you're working right. at on the internet We would like you to to Fund our own social media outreach For us Yeah, r- Rome
0: yeah. burns in 30 minutes or less or it's free
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah oh my god but i have never ever in any job even the ones where i feel like are slightly better than others gotten to be myself because if that were the case they would be paying me to talk about communist organizing and union organizing 90 percent of the time and they are not interested in that because they're bastards.
2: That's right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs>
0: right? I have even more basic grievances. They won't let me drink the tomato sauce with a crazy straw. <laughs> 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 Makes me furious. And so uh,
2: my, this next one, this this I mean, folks, favorite. I'm sure have seen this format where you've got the the older woman with her walker being helped by a younger woman. And in this case, the older woman's shirt has got a American flag uh superimposed over it, and it's And it's captioned, I'm the land of the free. And and then the woman that's helping her is saying, sure, America, let's get you to bed. (laughs) That's right
1: i would love to to put america to bed that would be that would be good <laughs> whenever i think of putting things to bed i always remember that fucking uh that me the meme from i can't remember it's like a game show uh john you might know this but it's the it's the put to to bed uh clip <laughs> has anybody ever seen this i don't know
0: uh, what oh, yeah is. yeah
2: i've i've uh, seen that yeah uh,
0: I I just like the the idea of like when when I see sure America let's get you to bed. It's I think comedy the next bang me- bang. Oh, is it comedy bang bang? Okay,
1: yeah. I, and I, it's I feel like, like this sh- someone holds up a, a CD with a, commun- with a with a with a ham on it, and the the album's called Put Tibet to Bed. And I just always <laughs> think of that when I think of putting something to bed.
0: <laughs> I mean, putting Tibet to bed is a good idea. Uh, especially like i imagine the sequel to this meme and it's like uh america went to live on a nice farm upstate
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely but in more positive uh i guess old people memes uh which is this one uh tweet from uh, i guess uh some someone uh named caitlin some very said, scottish
0: person named caitlin <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh is the i guess the the caption on this one is uh nah, my grand's notice for leaving her work wish i uh, wish i wish uh was kidding you on gotta, you got
0: you got to do it with the scottish accent like, nah, it like Nah, you gotta do my grand's notice for leaving her work wish i was kidding on. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You gotta read the whole thing
3: then,
0: okay? Dear Mr. McGillivray, notice of termination of employment. The job's crap, and I'm leaving. I'll not be back after June 30th. Can you wait? Good luck getting in some other mug to clean the place. Cheerio, Marlene, yee haw! <laughs> uh,
1: Hell so yeah. good, yeah, Fucking right, right, really like biting. Like resignation letters, put a put a review for work stoppage in your resignation letter. (laughs) Yeah, one thing I really love about
0: about uh, Scottish people is they type the way they talk. And uh, I think more people should do that if you speak, like, somewhat irregular English. Like, Scots don't give a shit. Jamaicans do this, too. Like, you see written Jamaican. There's no standard form for it. They're just like, it's just however I say it is how it gets written down. That's how language should fucking be, if you ask me. Hell yeah.
1: Hell yeah. Well, that is it for our meme review and this episode. I want to thank y'all for listening. And if you would like to support us and help us keep the show going, go to patreon.com workstoppage and shoot us $5 a month. You get access to all of our overtime episodes. This week we are actually going to be releasing AFL-CIA part two. I know that we kind of teased the part three of uh, rank and file, but we're going to be pushing that just a little bit longer. Uh, anyway this episode was super good and again, you can get that by going to patreon.com slash workstoppage jump in the discord and come hang out with us and see all of the news that doesn't quite make it into the episode, write us a review on your resignation letter, make sure to not only hand it to your boss, but to all of your fellow workers follow John on Twitter at Facebook Villain, follow the pod at pod. listen to Beep Beep Lettuce listen to Red Game Table, and as always labor peace is not in our interest Solidarity forever.
2: Solidarity. Solidarity, everybody.